Alexander. Shabbat for three. Bingo! Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. He is hard to believe. Here's Jordan. What's going on guys? Welcome to Dime Dropper. First episode in a while. Today I'm going to go over the reason why I actually wanted to come initially on the mic and to the channel was because I wanted to talk about week one of the Premier League. It just started. The fans are back and it was absolutely electric. But because of recent events, I would have I would have gone live tomorrow night and posted an episode tomorrow night. But because of recent news, I thought I might as well give an instant reaction to the trade news. The Clippers have now traded Pat Bev and Rajon Rondo, along with Daniel Oturu, to the Memphis Scum Grizzlies for Eric Bledsoe returning to L.A. So before we get into that, just wanted to remind you guys, make sure you subscribe and follow us on all platforms. Subscribe on YouTube, Dime Dropper Podcast, Apple Podcast. Follow us on Spotify, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, please. At Dime Dropper Pod. So... Let's talk about the trade briefly first. I'm not going to go into too much about it because there is no guarantee as to this being the last move for our roster. So I'm not going to you know, make any knee-jerk reactions and predictions. All I'm going to say is this. Clipper fans, I understand it's hard to see Pat Bev go. He was the heart and soul of our team. He you know, kind of led this new chapter in Clipper history after the Chris Paul trade. In 2017-18, I think he was the player I was most excited about when we had when we made the trade because I knew that he would give everything every single night, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, I'll never forget his first game against the Lakers, against Lonzo, and very anticipated Lonzo Ball debut, and he came out and just bullied him and got in his face, picked him up full court, got steals at half court. I was just so excited about that beginning of the season, and then sadly, obviously, he was injured for the whole year. That really killed our team in 2018 and is the main reason I think we didn't make the playoffs that year. And then, of course, 2019 was the year of Pat Bev on the Clippers. I think you could argue that was the best season of his professional career, at least in the NBA. He was so good from deep. He played great defense. He had great moments, you know, most nights. And he really was huge after that Tobias Harris trade and helping us get to the playoffs. And he had some great moments, especially the comeback that we'll never forget. Game two of the first round in 2019 against the Warriors. And then 2020 he was great as well. He had some great moments. Obviously, he got a little too cocky in the beginning of the season, which a lot of people, especially Laker fans, clowned him for incessantly. Um, you know, Pat Bev is definitely one that got excited. But I, I, what I love about Pat Bev is that he he's definitely one of those guys you talk about. I know it's cliche, but you hate to go against him, but you love to be on his side. And Patrick Beverly was totally one of those players. I couldn't stand him in Houston. I hated him. And then when he came to the Clippers, he won me over in the first game. The dude gives his all on the court. Every time he takes the floor, he gives a level of seriousness to the team. Until Ty Lue came, we couldn't play without Pat Bev. In the Glen Rivers era, we couldn't play without him. We were poor without him. You know, I, I may have deleted some screenshots, but I used to have stats on deck about you know how well we did with and without Pat Bev. Uh, and you know, just when you thought this season, he's, his injuries just got to a new level this year and that was the one thing that was very frustrating about having Patrick Beverly on the team. He was so good when he played, but he didn't always play. And he was out so much this season, which which allowed Reggie Jackson and guys like Terrence Mann to take off. 
But I think that I was I was kind of before the playoffs. I was like, let's get rid of Bev after this season because I don't want to deal with the injury stuff all the time. Is he our starting point guard? Is he not? Is he going to be in the rotation? But against Donovan Mitchell and against Devin Booker, I mean, especially against Donovan Mitchell, he really changed that series for us after we went down 2 nothing. And against Devin Booker, nobody in the playoffs did as good of a job, except maybe Drew Holiday as Patrick Beverly. I do think, though, some people are getting a little too high on those series because the only reason we were in a position to be in those series is because of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And this season, I just don't think we're going to have... We're gonna. What we need in the regular season this year is stability, and we need availability. And Patrick Beverly, I just think that those are some great postseason moments. And a lot of people are going to say, you know, this kills our chances of winning a championship. Dude, what championship has Pat Bev won? You can say we would have won if we had him. Those are all woulda, shoulda, coulda. I, my team has no championship appearances right now. I don't care about if Schmiffs. Um, Pat Bev could have potentially helped us win a chip. I understand. But who's to say that Eric Bledsoe can't? So here's my thing about Bev, guys. I love Bev. I thank him so much for everything he did for the Clippers. It was a great four years. A great three years of Bev in terms of the first year he didn't really play. This year wasn't that great, but in the playoffs, I mean, some of those games against Devin Booker, man, he was getting in his head. And, you know, there was nobody that I liked better than Patrick Beverly in terms of going to watch games at Staples Center because he had such a great way of interacting with the fans. He would always get the crowd hyped. He would always motion to the crowd. And I love players that interact with the crowd when you're there because it makes you feel like you're part of the game. And Pat Bev was one of those guys. He always included us, and he always made the fans feel important. And he bled this. <coughs> he bled the red, white, and blue. And I love that about Bev. As for Rondo... A personal favorite of mine. A lot of people, you know, hate him and thought he was poor. And I think he was poor in the playoffs after game four or five against Dallas. Um, but I loved having Rondo on the team. I just loved having him in, in my, my team's colors. He had a great regular season. He was a great off-the-court presence. I thought that his playing poorly actually allowed Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard to shine in certain moments. And I really liked Rondo as a, as a mentor. And it's going to suck to see him and Patrick Beverly go from a sentimental point. Here's my thing, though. A lot of people are getting very sentimental because they really enjoyed this era of Clipper basketball starting with that 2019 season of Pat Bev, uh, what's his name? Pat Bev, Lou Williams, and, and Montrader. But here's my thing. I've been a Clipper fan. This is going to be my 17th season being a Clipper fan. I've seen so many players I love go. So I don't really get that hurt over these moves anymore. I mean, you think I wasn't hurt when, when Elton Brand went to Philadelphia? Like, you think I wasn't hurt when Corey Maggette signed for the Warriors? You think I wasn't hurt when we traded Blake Griffin and Chris Paul? Or when we lost Eric Bledsoe the first time for J.J. Babydick? You think I wasn't hurt when we lost Karan Butler? These things hurt. Like, this is what being a fan is about. But when you see it so much, it, it really, like, I just want what's best for the team. And I don't think that we got significantly worse with this move, like some of you might think. Let's talk about it, right? Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe is one of our own. Here's the thing. You're saying it's sentimental value because we lost a player we loved so much. This is a player, the sentimental value the other way. If you've been a Clipper fan for more than eight years now, this is sentimental value coming back. I don't know how many Clipper fans disliked Eric Bledsoe when we had him from 2010 to 13. That dude was a beast off the bench. He would make highlight plays. He would dunk. He would play defense. He would have... Some of the best blocks I've seen from a small guard. And it was sad to see him go because we knew he was too good to be a backup. And then he went to Phoenix. 
but I'm so happy to have Bledsoe back from a sentimental point. My thing is this. I'm, I'm, you guys have listened to me now for two seasons or one season and a little bit of change with the glorified summer league. But I told you guys that I'm not high on Eric Bledsoe as a starting point guard. I think he's low IQ. I think that he thinks he's better than he is. And I think he's a poor jump shooter. But he has not been a backup point guard since he was with us. And that's going to change the pressure of him. That's going to change the expectation of him. And that's also going to change his role. And that's important. What I want him to do is I want him to play defense, which he's good at. And again, with Milwaukee, he was good. I want him to handle the ball a bit when Reggie's on the bench. With Kennard, Kennard, I would like to have off the ball more than Eric because he's a great shooter. Eric Bledsoe, I want him shooting minimal threes. No more than two or three a game, max. He's not a good shooter. I want him taking minimal jump shots. I want him attacking the basket. And with the way our offense is and the way it's spaced, I think he'll be able to do that at a very solid level. Uh, I think that Ty's got to have a, a quick leash with him, though. You know, if he starts taking terrible shots and getting reckless, pull him out of the game. We got options. We still got Luke Kennard. We still got Terrence Mann. We still got Reggie. PG's going to handle the ball a lot. We got the Brewmaster, who I think is going to have a very good season for us. So I don't think this is going to be bad, guys. I think Bledsoe's going to bring some great defense. He's going to take it to the rim, and he's going to be excited to be back. This is one of our own, you know. Yeah, it sucks to lose Beverly. And the worst part about it is the team he went to. I fucking hate the Grizzlies. Anybody that knows me knows they're my least favorite team outside of the Jazz because of that rivalry we had with them. And I still can't stand them. And Pat Bev fits that persona of the grit and grind as well as anyone. And I cannot stand it. And I can wait 10 years before I see him wearing that Grizzlies jersey. I'm not looking forward to it. And you know what sucks? I think a lot of these players in this Grizzlies team are likable. But I can't fuck with them ever. I don't care who's in the jersey. All I see is Randolph, Gasol, Tony Allen, and Conley. And I don't care about whoever they have for the rest of their existence. I hope they lose every game. Um, but yeah, I really hope the best for Pat Bev. I thank him so much for his years, but I think it's time to welcome Eric Bledsoe back with open arms, Clipper Nation. Come on, stop with the frowning. Look, this year, we probably will not win the championship. That's just the honest truth. Even if we get Kawhi back, it's going to be a a season in which we finish probably five to eight, and it's not going to be easy. But hopefully we get a team that competes every game. We get a team that plays together. We got a team that defends and hopefully good health going our way. And then when Kawhi comes back, you never know. But I think that it's just going to be... It's going to be a tough year, guys, with Kawhi. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be tough. But we need availability. We can't have Pat Ben missing 45 games. Like, that's just not cool anymore. Um, but that's all I got to say on the trade. Let's get into the Premier League. I was it, This was awesome. Like, you know, guys... Ever since I started Dime Dropper, I haven't been into the soc- into soccer or football, as some of you international fans are going to want me to call it, the way I used to be, but because I was in college. So, I w- like, you know, after partying for eight hours, I'm sorry, after partying till four in the morning, you can't wake up in five hours for a nine o'clock kickoff sometimes. I'm just too, you know, hungover, whatever. It's done. But now that I'm back, I can record all these games on my DVR here at home in Los Angeles, and I can watch all these games. And I watched every single big game this weekend, and I don't regret a second. It was awesome. The fans were back, and there is no sport that needs the fans more than international football or soccer. It's everything for me. The atmosphere is unreal. And let's start with Brentford, newly promoted Brentford. I had no idea they were in West London. And that's just crazy because of how many clubs are in West London. QPR, us, Chelsea, Fulham, and now Brentford that I know about. Four clubs in West London. If you know of any other clubs in West London, drop a comment and educate me. But that's another club in West London. A little London derby action with Arsenal coming. And I'm looking at Arsenal's team, right? They did not do anything to improve this team. Nothing. The dead weight is still there. They still got Chambers. They still got Holding. They still have Shaka. They still have Bellerin. 
And you still got, you know, that Sambi guy or Balagan. I don't know anything about these guys. And maybe that's me being a little more casual outside of the Premier League in the last couple of years. But, you know, they didn't do anything to strengthen this team at all. There's no marquee signing. Ben White. You're signing a guy from Brighton, right? Is that where he was from, Brighton? That's your marquee signing of the offseason is a guy I've never heard of. This is Arsenal Football Club. And this is how the standard is decreased here. You know, ever since, obviously it's been since Kroenke took over. And, you know, Moneyback Stan Kroenke is a great owner for my Rams. He makes the best decisions for the Rams. You know, he's constantly trying to build a contender and help Les Snead and Sean McVay build a contender. But his biggest club that he owns, his biggest franchise that he owns is Arsenal by a trillion. And he, they pay the mo- the Arsenal fans, poor things, pay the most money of any soccer team in the world for their tickets, I believe. And that's just getting robbed. You know, Ben White, that's your marquee signing. And it's just, it's not good enough for that club. And you see the way they play. No energy, no pace. They're predictable. They don't even create any chances. Brentford took the game to them. It felt like Brentford, you know, with everything that was going on, you know, they haven't been in the league in 75 years or whatnot. They were fired up. Arsenal didn't look like they, it was just, it was the normal game. Like they were still in preseason. They couldn't create anything. Of course, Aubameyang and Lacazette missed the game because they were sick. Not COVID related, I believe, but they were sick. And they just got played off the pitch. Um, Both goals coming from not being able to clear the ball. Pablo Mari, I think he came last season. I have not seen anything from him to to see that he's good enough for for the Arsenal standard, which is rapidly decreasing. Um, And then, you know, what was the other one? Uh, Tierney wasn't had a poor game. He didn't whip in any good balls. And they just got, like, Brentford, there was a couple times they could have made it 2 or 3-0 by half. You know, Arsenal barely had any chances. Um, Saka needs to start, though. He looked lively when he comes when he came on. And Emil Smith-Rowe, actually, he actually impressed me. If anybody impressed me, Emil Smith-Rowe impressed me because he moved the ball quick. He was thinking forward, you know, not conservative. Um, but poor clearances. Pablo Mari, Burton Leno got beat on the near post. He could have probably done a little better there. Callum Chambers, poor clearance. You know, he's just not a good right back. He's not good enough. Uh, he's not pacey enough. He's better, I think, as a center back. And... Uh, I forgot. I honestly forgot who started with Pablo Mari in the center defense for Arsenal. Oh, it was Rob Holding, I believe, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, if it was Rob Holding or not. Or Ben White. I think it was Ben White. They just weren't good enough, period. And 2-0, it was a fitting result. And how about those Brentford fans at the end of the game singing Hey Jude? I mean, that was that chills running down my body, man. I mean, scenes, bro. Absolute scenes, guys. Check that out if you haven't. The Brentford fans in full voice. They even had like a 70-year-old man tearing up. Like what, That's an estimate, 70-year-old man. Tearing up. It was That's just sports, man. That's what's so beautiful about it. And one thing I love about England, take notes, America. Every, everywhere, actually, in Europe. Nobody leaves till the players walk off the pitch. They clap the fans and appreciate for them for coming. And that's also on the players. American players don't always do that. Walk around the pitch and thank them for coming and then walk off and then the fans leave. It's more into... like. The fans and the players, the connection is stronger out there. That's why I love guys like Patrick Beverly. Going back to what I said earlier in the podcast, Patrick Beverly loved interacting with the fans. They made you feel important. You know, this game is nothing without the fans, as we learned in the coronavirus. You think that shit was entertaining? Yeah, we we each love our respective sports enough that professional sports would cease to exist without the fans. So that was an awesome moment from the Brentford fans. Um, Man United the next day, right? So Man United, they've done some great business this offseason. Jaden Sancho coming in. It's been a lot of years they've been talking about that. 
Uh, Rafa Varane. I mean, Rafa Varane, that's a shocking one. I mean, he's been on Real Madrid for a decade. Uh, World Cup winner. You know, this is the first time, in my opinion, that Man United have had two solid center backs, Harry Maguire and Rafa Varane. And not to say Lindelof's not good. Lindelof is good. But I don't think that United could win the league with Maguire and Lindelof as their pair. Um, I think that Lindelof is good for top four. I think he's good, you know, in international tournaments for Sweden. Uh, but I don't think that he's at the level to win the league. Um, I think that Man United with Varane and Maguire, that's the best pairing that they have had since Vidic and Ferdinand. I really believe so. And I think that when Juan Bissaka and Shaw coming off that Euro Cup that he had, it, they got a good defense. De Gea is going to be tested a lot this season. We'll see if he stays in the goal. And then Scott McTominay, who I thought played great yesterday, but to me, the Man United runs on Paul Pogba. I think that he is the one that's been the biggest question mark for this team. He's been at United for five years now. This is his sixth. He's at sky-high expectations. When he's, on, when he's focused and motivated, he is one of the best players in the world, one of the best midfielders bar none, just like he is with France and how great he was in this Euro Cup and, of course, the World Cup that he won. But he is the key. Because back, I mean, with United, he hasn't had one season where he's put consistent performances week in, week out reliably. You know, oh, oh all of a sudden he gets injured. All of a sudden he's out of the team. All of a sudden, oh, he wants to leave. It's just, it's been topsy-turvy. He has not led by example. Some games he looks like the best player on the pitch by a mile. And then some games he looks like he doesn't even care. And he's just like, oh, is Pogba playing? And this game, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer put him on the left-hand side, like further up the pitch on like the left wing. And that was very interesting. Because, you know, that's Pogba. He's a center midfielder. But, obviously, the idea was to play him further up the pitch because he's so much better there and to play two defensive-minded midfielders with Fred and Scott McTominay in midfield. And I thought that it was a fairly... I mean, United played with good energy. They looked like they were hungry with the fans back. You know, they said it was 18 months since Old Trafford had been packed like that. And I thought they came out with good energy. But I thought Leeds, you know, who we saw really great glimpses of last season, moving the ball quickly and well, had moments like that in the first 10 minutes or so. Um... But you know who I thought started out really brightly was Mason Greenwood, who started up top, and then uh, Bruno uh, Fernandes. I thought that his forward passes were great. He was always thinking ahead, back heels. Everything that was coming off Bruno was, was looking good. And Mason Greenwood looked lively. And in the first 15 minutes, you know, Mason Greenwood played Paul Pogba in for a one-on-one. And I thought he was going to, you know, just hit it with his right foot to the right corner of the goal. He wanted to get a little fancy with it, step over into his left foot. He did fake the goalie out a little bit, but... Um, Missed left, uh, wide left, and that was a great opportunity for Pogba. But he would make up for it in a big way. A great ball, first time ball to Bruno Fernandes, Fernandes, who brought it down beautifully, and they hit it with his left foot for one nil United. Of course, that equalizer by Leeds. I think it was Eiling who scored it. It was a screamer. I couldn't believe it for like five straight minutes. But within those straight five minutes, that I was, I couldn't believe the goal. I think Leeds were a little too excited because. Pogba and United came back the other way and scored. A great through ball by Pogba into Greenwood. Great run. Great finish. And don't you just love goals that are off the post? Because I do. They just look so nice to me. 2-1. And then Leeds just completely collapsed after that. That's when United blitzed them. Pog Pogba, again, nice little pass into Bruno Fernandes, who pulled it back, shot it with his left foot, right over the goal line. Goal line technology had to come save the day for United there. It was over the line. And Bruno Fernandes from Pogba. That was a hat-trick of assists for Pogba. And then... Um, I believe it was Lindelof who played an amazing ball, just uh, root one ball around, and I love balls that, uh, or passes, balls, whatever, if you're unfamiliar, uh, that curl around the defense like that, the way Lindelof did it. If you didn't check out the highlights, go check them out. Lindelof wrapped the ball around the whole defense of Leeds, and Fernandes made a great run and hit it first time in like the roof of the net. 
he almost tore the net off and you know a hat trick in the opening game for Bruno who had a very quiet Euro Cup for Portugal it's a huge it's a great sign for United uh, I think this is his third year with the club and this is the best team he's played on and I think this is the best United teams in Sir Alex and I think that they really need to um really need to put a proper title charge in this season and that means consistency and that was a great way to start the season they finished it 5-1 another assist for Pogba with four assists Fred finished it and I thought that it was a great opening game for United um I thought my man of the match was Pogba with the four assists, but I thought Greenwood, Bruno Fernandes with the hat-trick were great. Scott McTominay was great, too. Um, Chelsea, the champions of Europe, my Chelsea Blues, came out and were all over Crystal Palace, but I have to say I think Palace made it way too easy for us. They just parked the bus, absorbed the pressure. We were fast. We were lively. We were Werner and Pulisic were making runs. I was a little skeptical with, with Havertz and Kante on the bench, or I don't even know if Kante was available, but in Tuchel we trust. Um, I thought that Rudiger was rock-solid. I thought that he put in a nice cha uh, tackle when Wilfred Zaha was in on goal when we were up 2-0. Um, by the way, great free kick by Marcos Alonso. We were on a map before that. You know, Mason Mount was awesome. I thought he was very lively, getting into great areas, taking the ball away from players. And I thought we were just, you know, the second Palace stepped into midfield, we would get the ball back and we put good pressure on them um, in, in the right areas to win the ball, win possession back. I thought Jorginho and Kovacic played well, made good passes, won the ball back in, in the midfield. And I thought that the most impressive player, maybe the man of the match for me, was the new youngster that we got back from loan, Trevor Chalaba, the brother of Nathaniel Chalaba. And he looked great in the Super Cup. He was strong on the ball. He made great passes forward. And what a screamer to put us up 3-0. And by the way, shout out to Pulisic, who followed up uh, for the second goal. And that can be huge for his confidence. I've noticed one thing with Pulisic. He's starting to have a tendency of holding onto the ball a little too long and losing it or getting fouled because, you know, he's such a good dribbler. Um, and I'm, I'm just, just something to watch Chelsea fans, just something to watch about Pulisic. I think that goal was great for his confidence though. And, um, yeah, three nil to start. It was very routine, but Chalaba's goal was just great. The emotions running down his face. Um, I think like he was about to start crying. Uh, very impressive performance. And I think he's going to be a permanent fixture in our team. And I can't wait for Lukaku next week against Arsenal. I think we're going to be ready to destroy them. I cannot wait. The title charge is on. Chelsea gonna go. I'm, we're going for it this year, baby. One match at a time. Big three points to start off 3-0. And then, of course, Liverpool. Very routine against Norwich away. I think people are really sleeping on Liverpool. I think that even though they lost Vinaldum, even though, you know, they didn't have a great season last year, I think that um, getting Van Dyke back is huge. The whole team changed with Van Dyke. And I think that it'll a healthier season. Everyone's back. And I thought they looked pretty good. Salah especially, two goal. I think it was a goal and two assists, I believe, that he scored. Firmino came in and scored, and that was, I think, big for his confidence in front of goal. Diogo Jota, clinical as well. I thought Norwich actually played pretty well in the first half, but second half, once, uh, once Liverpool got that second goal, or the first goal, I think it was the second goal, they really took over, and they started putting more pressure on Norwich, forcing them back towards their goal, and winning the ball in good areas as well, and... It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a different midfield for Liverpool this year. Milner started. I don't know how he's still starting um, and still playing, but he's so dedicated to the craft. And it's a big three points for Liverpool just to start the season off in winning ways. Van Dijk looked good, and it was great to see him back on the pitch after he missed that Euro Cup, sadly. And then today's game, the last one, before we go to the live chat, I see you guys waiting so patiently. Shout out to the Lake Show. I really appreciate you, bro. Um, and everybody that's chipping in, uh, Intel Wild as well. I got you in a couple minutes, guys. Um, I had to do this, though, for the podcasters. Uh, listeners, uh, last game, Man City and Spurs was the game of the weekend um, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Harry Kane, 
not playing. Uh, so that means this transfer is imminent. And how I feel about that is like, you know, Kane's a world-class striker. I think that with Spurs losing Alderweireld and now Pochettino, even though I think Nuno Espirito Santo is a great hire from Wolves, uh, I think that losing Pochettino, and I guess th that club is not contending for trophies right now, at least not the league or the Champions League, which what Harry Kane wants to do as he's approaching his prime. And I guess, you know, he wants to move to Man City. But it's tough for a Spurs fan to see that. Thankfully, I'm not a Spurs fan. But so, but here's the thing. They look pretty good today. I thought that Man City, obviously, uh, didn't have Kevin De Bruyne starting. He was still, I think, not fully fit from the Euro Cup. And then Bernardo Silva was on the bench. Gabriel Jesus didn't start either. I thought that Man City looked pretty good. They were dominating possession in the first half, but they weren't creating many chances, and Lloris didn't have much to do. And I think that the uh, Spurs' strategy was to force City out wide and play that kind of uh, Christmas tree, as they were calling it on NBC in their broadcast. 4-2-3-1, I believe it was. Or was it a 4-3-2-1 with Son up top? And they were very good on the counter. So Son up top and Lucas Moura, who worked his ass off on the right-hand side. And then on the left-hand side, Bergwijn, who should have made it 2-0. Um, and then on the, in the midfield, I don't know. Where did this, what was his name, Flick? Where did he come from? Um, but I thought that Hoybier was great. I um, appreciate you, Intel Wild. I thought Hoybierg was great today, as he so often is, working hard in midfield. He's like their Jorginho to me, sets the tone, um, takes the ball, wins back possession. And I thought that, um, I thought Tanganga on the right side, the right back, he was unbelievable. A like, he didn't let anything by him. So strong. I thought he made Raheem Sterling have a poor game. I don't think Raheem was that effective, except for the best chance City had all game, a great assist, a potential assist, where he cut it back with his left foot. And you don't see Raheem get on his left foot like that. To Riyad Mahrez, perfect, clear shot at the goal from around the penalty spot, and he slipped with his right foot, and he just totally mishit it. And that was the best chance City got. I thought Spurs were pretty compact, even with Dyer and Davinson Sanchez at the back. Um... And yeah, big three points for Spurs. A, an amazing goal by Hyungmin Son, who's just, he can get greedy in front of goal, but he's got an incredible shot. And that left foot of his, that weak foot, oof, what a goal that was. Should Nathan Ake have closed down the space a little more? It looked like he was trying to let him go down the, to the, down the byline, but he just opened it up beautifully, Hyungmin Son. And with his left foot, I mean, that's big time. But a huge win for Spurs to start up the season. And I think that their strategy was to force City out wide. And uh, City was just whipping in balls with Mendy and and uh, Cancelo, and and they don't have any aerial threat. They don't have an, they didn't have any true number nine, and that's why I think they're trying to get Kane. Uh, I think Jesus needs to start over Ferran Torres. I straight up looked at my dad, and I was like, an hour into the game, I was like, it's, whoa, Ferran Torres is playing. I didn't even noticed he was playing. He was so quiet. So I think that, of course, Aguero's a generational player. It's going to be tough to replace him. If they can get Harry Kane, that's huge. But until then, I think Gabby Jesus needs to start. Um, but that's my review. I think United looked the most impressive, but one week is nothing. Um, it's going to be our, it's our league, guys. Chelsea, this is it. And obviously, Grealish, I thought he played pretty decent. I thought he looked decent on the ball and dangerous, the most dangerous player for City. I do think he held the ball a little too long at times or kept the ball at his feet a little too long at times. Um, City moves the ball quick, and he's going to have to get used to that. But overall, I think that he's going to grow. It's his first game, and I think City are still the favorites to win the league uh, even after that one game. But it's Chelsea's time to win the league. Carefree, wherever we may be. Thanks for joining me, guys. Let me know what you think. Now we move on to the live chat with the live subscribers. Peace out, y'all, and I'll be back soon.